so have you, if you remember to your childhood, for some of us that's not too far away and for others, maybe it is. Can you remember life lessons that uh, mom or dad have taught you? I remember as a child uh, being taught a lesson by my mother. It was summertime, sometime around July. Uh, it was either before the 4th or just after the 4th. I can't remember which. But it was summertime, and, and I was probably around 10, 11, 12, somewhere in that range. And I had a best friend on the street, and, you know, that was back in the day where you'd go down the street, knock on the door, hey, can Billy play, you know? And uh, that wasn't his name, the, but... Uh, you know, it, we would ride our bikes everywhere and things of that nature. And <laughs> never forget, he had this crazy idea that we were going to light a firecracker. And he's like, hey, I got this firecracker, and, and we should light it and see what happens. And I said, yeah, let's do that, you know. And then we're like, well, how are we going to light it? We don't have matches. We don't have uh, a lighter. How, how are we going to get this thing lit? And that's when I was like, I know. I came from a family of smokers, so matches were prevalent. They were everywhere. Yeah. And so I snuck into my mom's car. Um, she was in the house. I snuck into my mom's car and, and grabbed the, the matches. And we go out behind the garage, and, and we're striking matches, trying to get this, this firecracker to light one after the other. And it just, you know, putting it on the firecracker, it's not doing anything. It's not doing anything. Well, as anticipation was building that we were going to get this thing lit, so was the smell of sulfur and burnt matches. <laughs> to which my mother was able to start smelling through the open windows. Came out, and, and I hear her coming, and, and we quickly, you know, we're like, we've got to hide the evidence. So we shove it up the gutter, you know, the, the downspout, the gutter of the garage, you know. She won't find it in there, you know. <laughs> and so, of course, she finds it. She could smell it. Like, you know, kids, kids we, we, when we're kids, we're like, well, we, we can't get caught if there's no evident, visual evidence, you know, and, and how naive we are. <laughs> so surely she found it and uh, sent my friend home uh, and took me into the house, and she said, what are you doing with the matches? And I said, well, nothing. She said, don't lie to me. I know you were striking the matches. I can smell it. And I said, all right, well, you know, he came over, came over with this firecracker, and we were going to try to light this firecracker because we thought it would be really cool. And she goes, that would not be very cool. Those things are dangerous, especially if you're holding on to them when they go off, you know. And she said, I'm going to teach you a lesson. And I said, okay. And so she forced me to strike the match. But instead of holding it upright, I had to turn my hand over to where the flame starts crawling up the match. And I was told not to let go of that match until I was told to. And this time, I'm caught. I'm, like, terrified of my mother at this point. So I do that. The flame starts getting closer and closer to my thumbs. And I realize, ow, this doesn't feel good. Right? And it gets closer and closer, and the heat's intensifying. And I'm, like, and I'm starting to cry. I'm like, Mom, this hurts. And she goes, don't let go until I tell you to. And flame was not yet to my fingers, but the heat was hitting, Right? Eventually, it gets pretty close to where that flame is starting to touch my skin. And she goes, okay, shake it out. Go up to the bathroom and run your hand under cold water. To this day, 
I'm terrified of fire. I'm not a pyro. I don't like fire. So I learned consequences to my actions. The reason I share that story is because in general today, our children are not being taught consequences to their actions. I know this because as a youth pastor, I had boys that, I had one in particular. He came from a rough family, um, and him and another boy got into an altercation where the one boy was instigating this young man. And he took his pizza and he threw it at him and completely missed and hurt, hit the church wall with it and thought it was not his fault that it hit the wall. I said, you need to clean that. You threw the pizza. And he goes, no, I don't. It's not my fault it hit the wall. I was trying to hit so-and-so. <laughs> I said, you threw the pizza, right? And he goes, well, yeah, but only because of him. I said, you threw the pizza, right? <laughs> and I was like, it didn't, it didn't connect. The, the, the idea that his actions had consequences was a completely unknown thing. Like, how that could actually be was completely unknown to this, this young boy. And that's not the only example. But he had no concept of how, no matter what he did and how he responded, he was responsible ultimately for his actions. And we're faced in a, with a culture today where our, our young generation is coming up with this mentality that doesn't, is, as long as they can justify their actions, they don't have consequences because they're always in the right. This morning, we're going to continue our study in, in 1 Peter chapter 3. And I, I set up the message this way this morning because today, today's message is titled, Called to Bless Our Enemies, which feels countercultural. And so we're going to be studying from 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 to 17 this morning. So if you have your Bible, I encourage you to open there. If you don't have your own Bible with you, you can use your phone or there's, there's Bibles in the chairs. But I'll be reading out of the English Standard Version this morning. Um, and just uh, as we have arrived there in the Word, let us, let us go to the Lord in prayer as we get started this morning. <laughs> Heavenly Father, Lord, we just come before you humbly, but with confidence, Lord, knowing that because of Jesus, there is no barrier to you because of his blood that was shed lord he is our high priest and and we have confidence knowing that we can approach your throne lord we thank you that we were able to worship you in song this morning and and lord we pray that we would continue to worship you in your truth that your word that you have graciously protected throughout millennia so that we might have the truth that leads us to you Holy Spirit, would you speak through your word this morning? Would you allow your word to penetrate our hard hearts and our hard heads, Lord, and un unplug our ears, Lord, so that we might hear you this morning? Lord, I pray that uh, as your word is being taught this morning, that you would use me, but more importantly, Lord, that your, Lord, your word, Lord, would have application to your people, Lord, that we wouldn't just sit and receive, that we, would, that we would be equipped by your word this morning. 
So, Lord, we, we invite you, we ask, we, we boldly ask that you would do just that this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So 1 Peter 3, starting in verse 8. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For... Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Peter starts off this section of scripture in verse 8 by saying, finally, all of you. And this is another transition, right? Because over the last three messages, Peter has specifically been addressing believers in specific relationships. The first one was the relationship of the believer to the governing authorities that God had established. And he said that, We are to surrender to those governing authorities. Then he shifts out of that relationship to the relationship of a master and slave, which we we unpacked uh, in that message that, yes, it says master and slave, but it also parallels to today's relationship of a boss and an employee. And then he, he last week, we talked about the relationship between husbands and wives as believers and how husbands and wives are to relate to one another. Out of those three specific relationships, Peter goes, finally, all of you. And this is a transition out of those specific and focusing on the whole group of believers, all believers, no matter if you fall in one of those three categories or not. And he gives very specific instructions to all believers. He says to have unity of mind. To, to have sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. All right, this have unity of mind, uh, in some translations, might say single-minded, be single-minded. And, that's, and that is more appropriate to the original language, is to be of one mind, to be single-minded. Of one mind, or to find harmony. And... There is a movement right now uh, that would say that what this looks like is uniformity. That you can't be of one mind unless you're uniform. But that's not what Peter's talking about because unity does not equal uniformity. Right? We see all throughout Scripture how the body of Christ is a representation of many different members with different gifts. 
having unity of mind, being single-minded on one element, but we're not all the same. We're not all to dress the same, look the same, speak the same, reach the same people. We are not uniform. So Peter's not advocating for uniformity. You know, I, I grew up a Star Wars fan. My wife grew up a Trekkie. And I'm just now starting to learn a little bit about Star Trek and some of the nuances there. And, and uh, there's this race in Star Trek called the Borg. Right? And they're this evil cybernetic race. And they have the, this uh, saying, uh, uh, oh man, it's going to escape me because I'm not assimilate, where they assimilate races and they all become one mind. Right? And they, they all are controlled by the queen and they all have unity of mind and she controls all of their minds. That's not what Peter's talking about here. He's not talking about being one-minded as in just we all are robots. No. He, the church requires diversity. We find that in 1 Corinthians 12 when, when Paul talks about how the church represents the human body and how the human body is made up of many different members with many different gifts. Another, another way to defend this would be, uh, you know, churches used to have church choirs. And if you've ever sang in a choir, you know that choir songs are written with many parts. Soprano, alto, tenor, bass, baritone, soprano one, soprano two, alto one, alto two, so on and so forth. And there's many different parts. And by themselves can sound very pretty if it's the melody or could sound very odd if it's not. But when you put all of the parts together, there's harmony. And it creates a beautiful sound. So while a choir has many different parts with individual voices some groups of those voices singing one particular part, they're all single-minded on the one song that they're singing. Unity of believers is about being single-minded on the crucial elements of our faith. In Ephesians 4, 1-16, Paul talks about one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all. That is our one-mindedness. Those truths, those crucial elements of our faith. And so when Peter says to have unity of mind, he's not saying we are all to be just uniform. No, there's beauty in the unity of the believers that with where we're using our giftedness. However, there are certain things that we are uniform on such as one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, only one God and Father over all. So he says, no matter what relationship you are in, all brothers and sisters in Christ, all believers, find unity in the mind on these things. And then he goes on to the next thing where he says, having sympathy. There's another word for sympathy here could be compassion. To have compassion. Brotherly love, that, that is phileo, that is that Greek word phileo, which is the love of the Christian family, specifically brothers and sisters in Christ. To love brotherly. 
To, to have a tender heart is mercy. Where it is the Greek word for merciful. We're to be merciful. And to have a humble mind. To have modesty. To not think too highly of oneself. And so Peter says, if you're a believer, all of you, no matter what relationship you find yourself in, this is what it looks like. This is what following Christ looks like. And not only that, as believers, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. But on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. It basically says, do not give back evil. If you receive evil, don't return it. If somebody does you wrong, as a believer, what's the saying? Turn the other cheek, right? As a believer who represents Christ and what he has done for all of us, if someone wrongs us, we are not to return that. Evil here means bad, evil, harm, wickedness. We, we spoke a, a couple weeks ago about revile and how that's a word that we don't really use anymore, but it means to insult or slander, to speak ill of. And so if somebody speaks ill against you, says a bad word against you, you're not to return that either. Instead, it says on the contrary, you're to bless them. Oh. Anybody else read something like that and you just go, oh, that's so hard? Man, there are passages in Scripture where you go, well, that can't be right. That, that, that can't be what he's saying. But that's exactly what he's saying. That if you're a believer, if, if you are truly saved and, and redeemed and made new, this is what it looks like. It says, on the contrary, bless for to this you were called, to be a blessing. And this word blessing is, is really, a, it, it's a gift. It's to, to speak well of or to praise, right? It's the Greek word actually that is used here. It is the Greek word that we use for eulogy. Think about that. Where do we use a eulogy? When we speak at funerals where we praise and, and give testimony to the life of those who have, have moved on. That word eulogy is bless, to speak well of, to praise them. And Peter says here that no matter what evil is done to you or spoken to you, you are not to return that. Instead, you are to have a eulogy towards that person. You're to bless them, to praise them. And again, it just makes you go, Oh, that's so hard to do. It is so hard in our humanness to do that and to respond that way. And Peter supports this by quoting Psalm 34, verses 12 to 16, where he says, For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. 
Peter quotes Psalm 34. And so, again, just like he did with the women and the wives, he's saying this isn't a new thing. This isn't a new standard. This is how it's been. He's quoting Psalms from probably in the, the day of David. That's that same Psalm 34 that uh, we've sung before. I sought the Lord, right? And, and he's, he's quoting scripture to remind us that this isn't something new. Just because we're made new in Christ and there's this new covenant, it doesn't throw away the character that we're supposed to have in Christ and God himself. You might ask, okay, so what is the blessing that we're to receive from the Lord? It says that, on the contrary, bless, speak well of, praise, for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. And it's right here in the psalm that he quotes. He says, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. That's the blessing. And I, and I just, I stopped with that, and I, and, I, and I wrote this question. Is there anything more valuable than that blessing? To have the, eye, the eyes of the Lord on you and his ears open to your prayers. Is there anything more precious of a blessing? Outside of, obviously, being redeemed and salvation, right? If there's something that is more valuable, more sought after than that blessing, we need to wake up and repent. And I'm speaking personally too. Because if I'm valuing how others look at me or hear me more than I value the the eyes of the Lord on me, that he might have his ears open towards me. And I need to repent because there's nothing greater than his demeanor towards me. And then he gets to verse 13. And he says, Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? Do you ever read scripture and go, What's he talking about here? Because I have to imagine that the readers of this letter who are fleeing for their life because of persecution probably read this and, and thought to themselves, um, I don't know, like everyone. He, sa- he says, who is there to harm you? And they have to be like, uh, Peter, you realize we're like fleeing for our lives right now. Like everyone's out to get us. How can you say this? not like they were traveling for summer vacation and and taking in the sights. But Peter doesn't stop there. You can tell that Peter was not a highly educated man because when you read his letters, he has a ton of run-on sentences. It's like continual thought process, right? And that's why sometimes it's hard to read If you look at verse 14, he says, But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed, period. 
Then he says, have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for any reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that, and he just keeps going on and on. So how are we supposed to read that and go, okay, so what does he mean? Well, everything has context. He says, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them. Right? And, and when we read this whole entire section of verses 14, you know, 13 to 17, we can see that Peter is echoing Jesus' own words that he shared with the disciples that can be found in Matthew 10, 28, where Jesus says, Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Sounds a lot similar to what Peter's telling these believers, right? He, he's saying, who is there to harm you? Essentially, Peter is reminding believers that it doesn't matter what happens to your earthly body, your earthly vessel, because there's a home for us, a spiritual home for us that we get to go to. And so don't fear what can happen here on this plane. Always be in fear of, of the Lord. And that reverent fear, that, that respect. So, in other words, Peter is, is quoting, basically quoting what Jesus taught to remind us to keep our eyes off of men and keep our eyes on the Lord, come what may. Which is really what he's been saying all along through this letter to these exiles who were fleeing for their life. It says, for it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil, which speaks to that response that we have. That speaks to, if we respond with evil, there's a consequence for that. Right? Which is quoted in Psalm, in, in verse 12 at the very end, he says, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil, even if they're believers. That I added that part in there. But it's true. If you're a follower of Christ and you respond with evil, the face of the Lord is against those who do evil, which requires a repentance and a confession of that evil so that we might receive that blessing of the eyes and ears toward us. So Peter says, don't fear what might happen to the body Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. And in verse 15, he, he makes a, a statement here that believers should always be ready to defend the hope living inside of us. No matter what might come. He says, In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for a reason or for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. This word defend is a verbal defense. In the original uh, Greek, it says apologia, which is where we get the word apology or apologetics, which is uh, def defending our faith in a debate, apologetics. Uh, another way of looking at it, particularly in a court of law, you're being put on trial and you're to defend yourself with your words. 
how many of us know the word well enough that we can defend any attack given to us verbally? And Peter says that believers should always be ready. Always. Not just sometimes, but that we should always be ready to defend the hope that is living inside of us. Too often, I think, I I got ahead of myself. He says, always be ready to defend, but do it with gentleness and respect. And I think that that brings out a key element that sometimes we have the knack of saying, well, you're wrong. And we just, and we do it aggressively because we don't like to be attacked. We don't like the the attack coming to us. And so we respond in our humanness and in our flesh, and we respond in an aggressive, angry way in our defense. And Peter says, no, respond with gentleness and respect. That word gentleness there is is, uh, humility. And that word, word respect is that phobos word again, like fear the Lord, with fear and respect. Reverence. Let me to understand that being prepared, always ready to defend the enemy's attack, allows us to not be caught off guard and so respond in kind. See, the reality is, is that if we are not constantly preparing for the battle that we are in every single day, if we're not preparing ourselves to defend the hope that lives within us, when the attack comes, it catches us off guard, and how do we typically respond? Offended in my flesh. I respond out of my flesh, out of my old nature, out of my old self. I respond because I take the attack personally. It's not personal. Jesus said the world will hate you because they first hated me. So when the attacks come, we have to be prepared that the attacks are coming. They're going to come. Being a believer doesn't protect us from attacks. Especially as the day draws closer and closer to his return. The attacks are going to intensify. And Peter says we have to prepare ourselves. We have to be ready. Be ready and prepared to defend those attacks so that when they come, we may be able to respond in the Holy Spirit with humility and respect. And when we do that, that'll give the believer a good conscience. He goes on and he says that those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. This speaks exactly to when the attacks come and they're slandering your name and, and they're, they're, they're treating you badly in evil, they're saying bad words to you, and you in turn bless them, it brings shame against their attack. And so our conduct, how we, can, how we respond in face of evil, can put the enemy to shame. And he says, for it is better to suffer for doing good than for responding in evil. Which leads to the question, are you prepared to defend the hope that resides in you with gentleness? If the attacks were to start today, would you be able to respond with gentleness, with humility? How about with respect? 
it's hard to respect those who attack us. It's hard to give them respect. It's easier to just say, well, you don't know what you're talking about. And just and disrespect them. Are you prepared? Preparation is intentional. It's an intentional act. You can't prepare yourself by just being. It takes energy. It takes intentionality. It takes seeking. And so I just, I have this, this challenge. What intentional steps can you take this week with the Lord to be prepared and not caught off guard? What would that look like for you? For some of us, it might be extra time with Jesus. For some of us, it might be, you know, I have not set enough time aside at all, and I'm only spending maybe Sunday morning with the Lord. And so I'm going to add one more day. Maybe that's where you're at. But what intentional steps can you take this week with Jesus to be prepared and not caught off guard when those attacks do come that you might be able to respond with humility and respect, defending the hope of the gospel that resides in you. Because the reality is we are called to bless our enemies. And the only way to do that is by following the great commandment. Did you know that all four gospels give an account of Jesus giving the disciples the great commandment? Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it's very clear but in John, you have to kind of you kind of have to find it a little bit. In John's account, which is in John 13, 34, and 35, John's account says Jesus speaking, he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And by this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Church, we're, we're called to live out the great commandment, to love others as ourselves. Brotherly love in the Christian family, first and foremost, but also to love the lost. Even when the attacks come our way, even when the, the slander, the insults come our way, we are called to love them too. This is exactly what Peter is calling believers to in verse 8. Where he says, finally, all of you, all believers, have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. We're going to go to a closing song, but uh, as, as we do, would you pray with me as we close out our time in the word? Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. And Lord, even though there are times that it is challenging, even though there are times where our flesh would cry out and say, well, that's not fair. How can that be? How can you ask me to do that? Lord, the reality is we can't. Not without you. Not without your Holy Spirit leading us. Not without our lives being surrendered to you day in and day out. Lord, I pray that you would reveal to each one here and each one listening later, Lord, the one step that they could take that would help prepare them to make a defense in your name that would be 
and with humility and respect, Lord. Thank you for speaking this morning, Lord. Thank you for your word. Lord, we, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.